Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive & June. Olive & June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive & June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive & June, too, is it's a quick dry. It dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Welcome to Unscrewed, the show that knows that real liberation includes sexual liberation. I am your host, Jacqueline Friedman, and we're talking this week about something very near and dear to my heart, which is femme identity and anti-femme bias and suspicion of the feminine. And we're talking to two fantastic people about it. We have two guests for the price of one this week. Uh, we have Rebecca Hiles, who is a dating relationships and sexual wellness coach and who works under the nom de sex, the frisky fairy. <laughs> Rebecca. <laughs> I just coined that. And we also have Dirty Lola, who is a storyteller, sex educator, sex toy peddler, and the creator and host of the live sex Q&A slash go-go show and podcast, Sex Ed a Go-Go. Welcome, Lola. Hi. Hi. You got a lot of stuff into that one show. I did. Yeah. <laughs> Cram it in. It's cram jammed. Well, thanks for coming on the show. I want to talk to you about all things femme. But before we do that, we have to go through the lightning round. Are y'all ready? Yes. Okay. So what's been making each of you the happiest this week? Being home in my bed. Mm. <laughs> have you been on the road? Yes. <laughs> That's oh, yeah. why my voice sounds like this. <laughs> I'm definitely reunited with my cat. <laughs> Aww. What's your cat's name? His name is Romulus. He is the Prince of Cats. Aww. What is the best sex advice you ever received? I'm going to say to be patient. Hmm. Like with myself. Just, you know, not being upset. I don't, I don't come easily. And I think like admitting to that and, and making that a thing that I tell partners and kind of being like, listen, this is what it is. I'm fine with it. You need to be fine with it too if we're going to do this. And not being upset that I'm not like multiple orgasmic and that that's totes cool because I enjoy the kinds of orgasms I have. So, yeah. Yes. Excellent. Rebecca? Hmm. I think for me it was probably someone else told me a very long time ago that they approach dating in such a way that the first time you have sex with someone doesn't count because everybody's really nervous and sort of stressed out and you're sort of learning each other's bodies. And I just kind of adopted that into my life in general that's great that's sort of like the test pancake approach to sex yeah yeah exactly it's sort of I guess carried over in a lot of ways because 
not just that, you know, the first time we have sex, it doesn't really count. So if things get weird or awkward, we can just try again later. But now it's just made me a little bit less stressed out when I've like had sex with people and they haven't been able to orgasm or they haven't, you know, been able to maintain an erection or for whatever reason, something hasn't gone right. Even if we've been dating for long periods of time, I don't really hold that on myself because I'm like, ah, it doesn't matter. There's always next time. Excellent. Yes, I love this. What's been making you the maddest or saddest lately when it comes to sex or sexuality related news? <laughs> Everything. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> this question, I, I invented this question a long time ago, but it's taken on like new heat this year. Pick something. <laughs> Pick something. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I think for me, it's just like the daily onslaught of like, who else can we fuck over? Uh, yeah, I, I feel like we don't get a chance to focus on one thing and try to uh, tackle it before something new comes along. And mm-hmm. that leads so much to the people who say things like, well, don't get distracted. I'm like, I don't think these are distractions. I think they're actual problems. Mm-hmm. But when you have things constantly piling up, it's so hard to try to, you know, and, and also I feel like we have to like pick one. We really do because it's so hard to like support everything because of how much is happening all at once and that when you're trying to um, especially as a sex educator tackle all the problems it's like I you come across as I come feel like I come across as being very scattered so it's like that where can I lend my silent support and like what am I going to be really vocal about and how do I choose that and that leads to its own stress because you don't want people to think that you're like ignoring (laughs) things over other things and yeah, that's been the thing that's really been getting to me lately. Yeah, yeah I understand that. Same. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely a moment where you just you can't we can't focus on anything. Every day there's something new. Every day there's some different problem. Every day we're having to make the decision on like, who is the most marginalized today? <laughs> and like, who do we need to help the most today? And who is being the most attacked today? And it's exhausting. It, it's just exhausting. Yep. Yep. What is the biggest sex myth that you once believed but don't believe anymore? Ooh. I think for a very long time I thought that being inorgasmic meant something was either wrong with me or I hadn't met the right person. Mm. And that led to a lot of dick searching, which isn't a bad thing. But instead of trying to find ways that worked for me, I was looking for like the the actual dick that would work for me, which really isn't a thing. So you thought the answer was like somebody else had the key. Right. Well, yeah, yeah, like I was a lock and these were keys and all these keys weren't working. (laughs) Yeah. So whereas now I totally understand the ways to make my body work and what I need and that I can do that with multiple people, different people, and it I can still have the same results and not being dependent upon that one perfect penis. That is fantastically liberating. Yes. Yes. <laughs> As per usual, Lola, we are in the same brain. No, like a big a big sex myth for me when I was growing up was the fact that I it was always the same thing, right? You had to like find the one, right? The one partner, the one that you would fall in love with and have sex with for the rest of your life. And that was like it. Right. And now I recognize that no one person can be everything. 
for you. Mm-hmm. And that's so important. <laughs> and if you find one person that fits all of your needs, like rock on, that is, that is some damn good luck. But, uh, it, you can't make the assumption that you're going to find one person who fits all of your needs, who checks all of your boxes. Right. On. Agreed. Yeah. All right. Last question. Who's one of the bravest people you can think of who's working to unscrew the sexual culture in some way? I would say Ella Dawson. So she does a lot of work with herpes. She did a TED talk about having herpes and herpes stigma. Um, she does a lot of work in talking about, you know, why having herpes isn't a bad thing and why you don't have to feel any shame about it. And I think that that's really important and very relevant. So many people having herpes, but I think that she's doing a lot of work to combat shame and STI stigma. And even within the sex pause community, I think that we have a lot of STI stigma that happens. um, And I really appreciate the work that she does. Right on. I'm going to choose Erica Hart. I was going to say like women of color, period, but I figured I should just name a name as well and not just do that. But I feel like Erica Hart has done one a lot for body image. Um, She really kind of, I mean, she's always been on my radar. She's, she's an amazing educator, but she recently, I'd say maybe a year ago last year at Afropunk, she is a cancer survivor. Um, She had a double mastectomy and had like reconstruction surgery and she went to Afropunk topless. So she is like, there's this no nipple replacement, none of that's happening. And she just was like, fuck it, I'm going. And she did it. And it got a lot of attention because one black women in breast cancer, you know, we don't talk about Um, what it looks like on our bodies or how breast cancer affects black women because it is vastly different from how white women are affected by it. And so she started that conversation and also how women of color period are handled within the healthcare uh, systematic complex, Um, how a lot of things for us tend to be overlooked because there are not a lot of models. Like if you Google post breast cancer, like what it looks like, you'll search for hours before you find a brown body. Um, Mm. Now you'll probably find Erica, but before that, you really wouldn't be able to find somebody that looked like you. For me, she's somebody I really look to when we're talking about sex and sexuality through a lens and how it affects people of color. Because even in what I do, it's I have to remind myself that there's a lot of white supremacy within sex and sex ed and sexuality and that we don't get focused on and that I have to pull back and like, am I answering to everybody's needs and not just what I learned, which is very whitewashed. Mm -hmm. So I appreciate her immensely for doing those things. Amazing. I'm gonna have to check both of them out. Thank you. All right. So let's get into it. I want to start a little bit at a 101 level because we haven't had conversations about femme on the show before. I wonder, you know, if you two collectively or individually can define what you mean by femme. I guess if you're trying to do like 101, I think femme is the evolution of the word girly, liking like lighter colors and pastels or glitter or makeup. It's a look. It's also a feeling. It's about um, how you approach things, but that are a very feminine feel to them or how we, how society as a whole defines feminine. Like an embodiment of traditional feminine aesthetics and behaviors and gender roles regardless of who is applying them, who is using them. I'm interested that neither of you talked about queerness in your definitions. Like for me, I came to femme specifically as part of coming out as queer. And it always has felt like a part of my queer identity. 
I sort of feel like lately it's been undergoing a, an evolution or has been used in other ways. So I'm, I'm wondering if either of you think about it in relation to queerness. Definitely. But I also don't think all queer folks are femme. Oh my gosh. No, I mean, no, 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 no. That's not at all what I meant. But, but I tend to think when I see the word femme of it as a part of a a kind of queer identity a where there are, queer, there are yeah. many queer I mean, identities, it, but that, but that for me, femme has always been a little bit subversive when it comes to sort of the performance of femininity or girliness or whatever word we're using in the sense that, that there's so, a sort of consciousness, a playfulness in which one approaches that like one can be feminine and not be femme, I guess is what right. like in my experience that, that there are plenty of people who identify as feminine and experience themselves as feminine who don't engage with it in a way that I would consider femme. But I'm wondering if that's yeah. part of your definition. Yeah, I definitely think that femme can be more of an identity because I do know there are people who are, who identify as feminine or who perform traditionally feminine roles that don't identify as femme. And I do think that there's a, a big use of femme within the queer movement. I mean, that's really where it was coined. Right, exactly. Yeah. The conversations around who is allowed to use femme is a is another thing too, which that one fits a lot in my feels, mostly because it's like, am I allowed to use the word femme uh, in the same way? Am I allowed to be bisexual when I've got like mostly cis male partners, you know? Um, <laughs> am I allowed to use the word femme when I don't read as queer? Am I allowed to identify as bisexual when I don't read as queer, you know? Oh, honey, we can have that conversation. I have. <laughs> <laughs> so I do think that like, there's, there's definitely a very long history of femme and queerness. But I think it's like a 101. I wouldn't necessarily put much of an emphasis on queerness around it other than to note that femme did identify femme did come out of the the queer movements and, and queer communities so you don't think femme is political i think it can be but it doesn't have to be yeah i think it's evolved into an just an, a way to also just describe how a lot of people represent themselves the way we're talking about it is also breaking it down because sometimes it's not even folks um, labeling themselves. It's how people see people and decide mm -hmm. to label them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And we're definitely going to get into that. Before we do, I wonder if you can talk a little bit about how you each came to the word femme. I mean, I assume that you both identify with it, although correct me if I'm wrong, but tell me about how you came to it personally. I think... Mm, not necessarily the word femme, but I guess when I came out, every, it was like, oh, are you a lipstick or le lesbian? Lipstick lesbian, like, yes. Lipstick lesbian. That was kind of like the femme. And then I wasn't super femme back then. Like, I was very much a tomboy. Now what we would call, I had that tomboy femme aesthetic down pat in my early years. And I still, I think I do that a lot still now. But yeah, so back then, I think I didn't. I knew about it, but didn't necessarily gravitate to it because there was a very stark line driven between like what that meant. And I wasn't that kind of person. Like I didn't wear makeup and I didn't do lipstick. And whereas now when I look back at the pictures, I'm like, ah, oh, you were so a tomboy femme. <laughs> As I've gotten older, I enjoy labels. I am one of the few people, I guess I, I like being able to for myself, 
put out there what I feel I am in the moment because it's evolved and it's changed. And I like keeping track of that stuff because science. So for myself, I, I really do enjoy that. And I think I've realizing how my self evolution has moved even more so into the area of him and also how that changes the perception of and how people perceive me is why I, I tend to use it way more now mm. um, when I talk about things and also like in the work I do I think you kind of do need to kind of put out there who you are when talking about things and especially self-expression because it's one way people gravitate towards you or decide not to gravitate towards you mm. I don't um have you ever just like been in a space that you've just always known was you, right? Mm-hmm. It's just always was you. Yeah. That's, that's femme for me. I've never, there was never a point where I like sort of came around to it where bisexual was something that I like had to come around to. This was just something I never had to to think about it. It just sort of was. Plus I'm like 40% glitter. So it's like, <laughs> might as well. Right. Learning that femme was an identity. It sort of gave a word to the kind of person that I am. I think that we're demonstrating everybody has a different experience of it. And also, let me go on the record saying I also like labels. I mean, I don't like (laughs) being labeled. And I think that maybe when people say I don't like labels, they often mean I don't like being labeled. Mm -hmm. All right. We've we've sort of defined our terms. We've given people a grounding. So I reached out to y'all because you did a workshop on this at the Woodhull Sexual Freedom Summit, which I was unfortunately unable to attend. And you talked about sort of basically anti-femme bias in some corners of feminism. So I wonder if you can lay out the problem. So I think that the the big problem comes around with the fact that we have stereotypically identified the traditional femininity, specifically like gender roles and performative femininity as being problematic, uh, as being you know weaker or we're being less than in some ways. And because of that, we've, we've sort of had to like be stronger and better. Um, and so we've sort of devalued it as a frivolous thing as that it's not necessary, preferring natural beauty, preferring. Oh my God. Don't get me started on natural beauty. <laughs> <laughs> the, you know, those sorts of things where, where we sort of skip the part where it's sort of a choice and the performative things are a choice. But we also tend to talk about how, you know, women who choose to be in traditional gender roles are also a problem. We actually see this a lot for people who identify as submissive. I'm one of those people. When I first started in identifying as a feminist, I like really had sort of an identity crisis because I was like, can I be a feminist and also be a submissive? Because I felt like those two things like just didn't connect somehow. Uh, Spoiler alert, you can. You should listen to my show that I did with Tristan Terramino on feminism and rape fantasies. Must go back. Yes, (laughs) it's a a classic. (laughs) That sounds amazing. Yeah. But yeah, so it's like, it's a lot of, a lot of those things where we unintentionally devalue femme behaviors and we do it like without even thinking. Somebody pointed out um, at our panel about um, Mean Girls that um, within Mean Girls, like Lindsay Lohan's character, the meaner she gets, the more femme, I'm like making air quotes around it, the more femme she gets. No, I heard your air quotes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
Um, so somebody pointed that I out. I have not like, ever seen Everybody, even yeah. us in the front, we were just like, yeah, definitely. I didn't even think of that. Devil Wears Prada is a great example. The people who are the antagonists in that film are these high femme women. They're these women who are really into clothes and makeup and shoes and fashion and they're vapid and they're shallow and they, they're one stomach flew away from reaching their goal weight. Mm-hmm. And... <laughs> And like the only time that you really see these like these women being vulnerable and soft is when they are when they're stripped of their power within their femininity. When you see Miranda with no makeup on when she's getting right, divorced, and she's and, sobbing and yeah. she's miserable and she's she's hurt and she that's the only time you see her vulnerable. Any other time when she's you know femme it's seen as being like vapid and silly and very often you know played off as being insecure. All these movies, motherhood is great if you don't go super fit. So if you're a mom who like still wears makeup and has time to do all these things for yourself, it's less valuable than someone who's like, oh, I don't have time to do all this stuff because I'm working so hard. Mm-hmm. Although, you know, the time and effort it takes to perform femme is real. Oh, of course. And I think yeah. that that's part of why people dismiss it, too is that there's sort of this attitude of like, why would you waste time on something so frivolous and vain when you could be spending that time doing something else, something more worthwhile? Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, Unscrewed Nation, time for an announcement break. Just want to remind you that Unscrewed the book, more officially known as Unscrewed, Women, Sex, Power, and How to Stop Letting the System Screw Us All, is coming out so, so soon. You may or may not know this, but pre-orders are super important to the launch of a book. So if you think you're going to read it, which, you know, come on, you're going to read it. It would be such a big deal if you would click on over to getunscrewed.com, like literally now while you're listening to me. You'll find links there to all the major places where you might want to buy your copy, as well as details about the very cool perk you'll get if you pre-order. And of course, the tour schedule. 
This is just the dates we have so far. More dates are still being planned. So if you don't see your city there, let me know and I will definitely see if I can make it. The whole tour is being made possible by the fantastic folks at the Pleasure Chest. Since 1971, the year I was born, the Pleasure Chest has firmly believed that everyone has a fundamental right to pursue sexual fulfillment. With boutiques in New York, LA, and Chicago, at which I will be most definitely stopping for tour events for Unscrewed, the Pleasure Chest is committed to accurate, pleasure-based education and offers an array of free weekly workshops through their Pleasure Ed program, which is open to anyone looking to expand their Pleasure IQ. Their highly trained and sensitive staff is ready to help you find what you're looking for in a safe and judgment-free environment. Prefer to do your sexy shopping online? Visit PleasureChest.com and browse their diverse range of products and special collections curated by today's top sex educators like past unscrewed guests L. Chase and Tristan Taramino, plus Midori, Reed McCallough, and lots more. Check out PleasureChest.com for a complete listing of upcoming events nationwide. And because I got y'all, you can use the code UNSCREWED at checkout and enjoy a free Pleasure Chest lube with every purchase. All right. See you out there. I assume you've both read Julia Serrano's Whipping Girl. No. <laughs> Ladies, get on it. Yeah, I mean, it's all about this. It's sort of the or text about the issue that you're talking about here. And it totally is what changed my life about my femme identity. Because before I read Whipping Girl, I kind of internalized some of this stuff. It sort of felt silly and guilty even though I knew it was what I wanted and what felt good, I was doing some of these narratives to myself, even as I was performing femme. And the thing that she said that made all the light bulbs start going off was like, the assumption in here is that masculinity is natural, right? That femininity is suspect because it's a performance. But then there's this assumption that like masculinity is just good and right as though masculinity doesn't require an enormous amount of performance and artifice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was like, yeah, like all of it is a question of how you decide to tell a story about yourself to the world. Like what feels right on your body? Like, and that is for me is like the key, the Rosetta stone to this whole conversation is like the imbalance between the way culturally we approach masculinity versus femininity yeah yes so the thing that i grapple with is how do we like i do think it's a valid part of the feminist project to criticize to sort of dismantle the gender binary and to criticize compulsory gender roles right and to sort of critique women being shoved into norms that aren't comfortable for them right like that we want women to have full access to the range of how women can be and and sort of explode what our options are as women, whether that comes to gender expression or almost anything else, right? So how do you think about like, how do we do that part of the project of feminism without making femmes feel devalued or, you know, looked down upon or sort of shoved to the side? we can stop assuming that people haven't come to this identity without work or that they just came out of the womb wearing a tutu. I think that that's the biggest problem is people assume that you haven't done your own work to get where you are as far as you want to represent. My mother was very into making us be very girly. We wore dresses and tights and things. And we were a church family. I grew up in the church. So every Sunday it was like, 
uber dressy and to the point of rebellion because I didn't like having to put on all these layers and things and then being a big tomboy and through a good portion of my teens to early 20s and then slowly realizing like I did like these things but battling with why I like these things and like what I'm 36 and I'm just coming into enjoying that I have a closet full of dresses and not feeling guilty about it a lot of people judge without even knowing how you got there. I could easily go buy a pair of jeans and a t-shirt and call it a day. For me to go out and find a dress that fits me and makes me look good and feel good is a lot of fucking work. Let's give people the benefit of the doubt. So recently, as of like the end of July, an article came out about how you can reduce your carbon footprint. And the biggest way to reduce your carbon footprint is to not have a child. Mm -hmm. And Immediately in the comments and immediately in my brain, I could just see what's going to happen next, which is that people are going to put this blame on women. Anytime women have children, they are you having your one child. You are now responsible for climate change. You are responsible for the destruction of society. You are responsible for the dinosaurs dying. You did it. We put a lot of everything on women to to make these decisions, and there's not a lot of room to give, and there's not a lot of space for women who want to explore those traditional gender roles or who want to have children or who want to be pregnant or who whatever, who want to make those decisions for themselves without being called selfish in either direction. You know, you have women who don't want to have children, they're called selfish, do want to have children, they're called selfish. There's like, it's a no-win situation at this point. It gets to like the individualization of the idea of feminism, like that each woman, each of us has to be always making the most maximally feminist decision at all times, which I think is just totally the wrong way of thinking about feminism in general, right? Like feminism should be about systems, right? That if you're worried about climate change, like I think we should be a lot more worried about corporate polluters and and governmental policy than any individual woman deciding to have a baby, right? Like that Mm -hmm. the work I do as a feminist is to dismantle, you know, the pressures to comport to traditional gender norms. That does not mean I'm giving up my lipstick, right? Like. Lipstick is such an easy symbol here. I feel like every comp femme conversation gets reduced to lipstick. So I just want to flag that. Like, we're, we're, we're talking about the metaphorical lipstick, although also the literal fucking lipstick. And, and I think that there's been this sort of trend to sort of like, either the, on the one hand, there's like this, I choose my choice feminism and like anything that I do must be feminist because it makes me feel happy, which I, I think is actually quite bullshit. But there's also the sort of like, every one of your choices like makes you either a good or bad feminist. And I just think like we need to fucking live (laughs) and and it's and it's sort of missing the forest for the trees. Right. One, we should have choices. But two, why are you making those choices? You know, like in every single movie ever, femme means success. I don't always think that's true. But, you know, like if it some you start doing better when you take off your glasses and you let your hair down. Oh, yeah. Uh, you, you guys are probably too young for this. But like Ali Sheedy's makeover at the end of the breakfast club. Yes. And, yeah. Oh, you're I not. Excellent. That, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's and a happy ending for her. not weird right? anymore. Yeah. Because she you made the film choice to be more pretty or girly. And I think that's where also femme femininity gets a bad name. It makes masculine, weird, not femme into the bad choice. And I think that's why being femme also gets... Because, I mean, we're always the villain. 
and everything. We talked about Mean Girls the, in every movie. And there's Heather's, literally the femme fatale, right? Yeah, you're you're somehow evil or, you know, the popular girl is always super femme. You never see a movie where the popular girl is like a jock <laughs> and, and and the bad guy. You know, it's like, that's the girl who's getting made fun of, right. Carrie. Although I do like being subversive with my femme performance. Like, I like people reading me a certain way and expecting me to be sort of helpless and docile and then subverting their fucking expectations, right? Like, and, you know, whether that's, you know, being able to handle things with my car or being able to defend myself or just speak up. One of the things I enjoy about my own personal femme identity is that I only perform some of the gender norms, right? Like being high femme and not knowing how to cook. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I cook very well, but you know, I think that's that's something almost that people just think it's like, oh well, you must you must bake a mean pie. Maybe I don't. <laughs> One of the things that I've seen in media that's really that's really cool. You brought up Breakfast Club, and you brought up the like femme makeover. The like late '90s, within like the teen films, we started seeing like a a turn of the films going from the like if you femme it up everything will be fine right the like makeover films she's all that that kind of thing moving into the like if you are femme femme is bad right we've like slowly the mean girls the like we've slowly shifted into like a different space with that but when you see like adult films what I've noticed is that the the message sort of stays the same which is that femmes are bad because femmes are dangerous within the femme fatale, but also, like, when you think of a- any woman in a film who, like, a, a, a partner cheats with, she's right. always, like, super femme, always high femme. Femme is only acceptable up into a certain point, and that certain point is when you have children and when you get married and when you settle down. And once you settle down, femme is no longer expected in the same way because after that point, it's just threatening. Did you guys watch Revenge? Oh, yeah. What was her? Victoria, right? She was like the super high femme, like alpha woman of the Hamptons. Oh, she's terrifying. And she's terrifying. She's like a psychopath. And, you know, she has kids, but she's a terrible mother. You know, she walks in the room and you know she's supposed to be the villain. Right. Mm-hmm. And we have those we have those messages coded within our within like our society as far as how femme aesthetics go. Take a look when you look at Disney villains are a great example. Ursula and Maleficent. These are villains that have, like, eyeliner sharper than knives. Oh, and what's the face in in A Thousand and One Dalmatians? Uh, Oh, Cruella Cruella Deville. Yeah. Yeah. Every single, like, evil stepmother, like, all of this, you know, it's Oh, in Cinderella, yeah. Mm -hmm. She's also super fun. And, And the daughters, too, they're, like, really into fashion Exactly. To the point that they would literally cut off parts of their body in order to, like, have their happy ending. Yeah. It's something that's, like, been coded into that there are certain types of femininity that's okay, but that high femme is is bad. That, that femme that, you know, is very performative is bad. And I think that that's something that is also a big problem because it really puts a negative for, like, trans women who often have to perform femininity to a much higher standard 
for safety reasons, that it becomes a very big problem because it codes them as dangerous or threatening Mm -hmm. or bad in a lot of ways. Or frivolous. I remember when the Caitlyn Jenner profile came out on Vanity Fair that the criticism was like, oh, she thinks being a woman means nail polish. Right. Mm -hmm. That she doesn't have a deep understanding of what it means to be a woman because she's fixated on nail polish. Or sometimes a lot of that you're lying, you know, especially for trans women is that you're like perpetuating a lie, which goes back to just cis women and makeup that the Mm -hmm. whole thing of, you know, well, that's not really your face. It's like, of course, it's not Jack Hole. I don't have gold eyelids. Like, you know, (laughs) yeah, duh. (laughs) I do. One of the things that I've been seeing a great deal of is, uh, so we're seeing a lot of memes about Teen Vogue, right? Yeah. Where it's like Vogue and Cosmo. There there are these magazines that are talking about like how to get your man and like 10 best tips for how to do your eyeliner. And like Teen Vogue is like 10 best tips to how to like revolt against the government, right? Um, And I'm like, on one hand, that's really cool. On the other hand, Teen Vogue also, in addition to talking about their politics, talks about like lip liner and lipstick and makeup and fashion. And so I, what I really love about Teen Vogue as like a general rule that I think is getting dismissed is that they are doing what exactly what you were talking about when you, you know, when you have people sort of not take you seriously, mm-hmm. right. Where they're like, Oh, people think that Teen Vogue is just ha ha eyeliner, lipstick, blah, blah, blah. But then you look a little bit closer and it's like, no, no, we're talking about politics and yeah. we're talking about anal sex and we're talking about safer sex and we're talking about like all of these deep, serious issues that are affecting like teenagers that are affecting young adults that are affecting young women. In addition to talking about how to like slip into a Sephora and match your nipple to like the newest nude shade for your lip, like all of that um, all at once. And I think that's really cool. I have the nipple selfie on my phone, just in case. Yes. <laughs> well, you don't do want to have to whip it out in great the Sephora. Idea. Just like it. a really like well-lit yeah, exactly. photo of your nipple. Genius. Exactly. That's genius. News you can use. All right, women, we are just about out of time. I wonder if you... <laughs> If somebody's at home being like, do I participate in this? How can I do better? Like, do you have any, like, hot tips for folks on the ground who want to be supportive? What, I'm just going to go back to what I said before is to not just dismiss folks and not take a moment to think that choices have been made and, and things have been thought out. It doesn't make you stupid or evil. It also doesn't make you better than anyone. And also not thinking that someone who is high femme thinks they're better than you or that they're going to be a bully. I think it's just taking time to to realize like it's no different than any form of self-expression. Amen. I'm going to defer to Lola because that was beautiful. Yeah, I think we leave it there. Well, women, thank you for coming on my show. Thank you for having us. Can you you. tell me and our listeners where folks can follow your work online? Uh, Yeah, you can find me at friskyfairy.com you can follow me on twitter at the frisky fairy or literally anywhere at the frisky fairy Mm -hmm. um i have a book coming out in october of 2017 titled it's called polyamory coming out about your non-monogamous relationships and my new podcast fat girl's guide is available at fatgirlsguide.buzzsprout.com nice you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Dirty Lola. 
most of the things I say end up on Twitter. <laughs> and then if you want to find out more about my show, Sex at a Go-Go, it's sexatagogo.com. This is also usually where I post any other appearances that I'll be making. Right on. And you can find me on Twitter and Facebook at Jacqueline F and on Instagram at Jacqueline Effable. Uh, you can find my writing, upcoming shows and stuff at JacquelineFriedman.com, J-A-C-L-Y-N-F-R-I-E-D-M-A-N.com. You can also check there for tour dates for my upcoming book tour for Unscrewed the Book. Woohoo! You can find this podcast wherever fine podcasts are available. Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Acast. If there's a platform you like to get podcasts in and I'm not there, let me know and I'll hook it up. While you're in there, you know what I'm going to say. Please give us five stars. Give us a little review. It not only makes my heart super happy, no lie, but also helps other folks find the show because it bumps it up in the rankings. So if people are looking for a show using keywords, we're more likely to show up in their search. Unscrewed is produced and edited by yours truly, Jacqueline Friedman. Our in and out music is by The Pink Tiles and our cover art is by Nicole Dodonna and was produced in collaboration with The Establishment, who also produced the sound cues. Until next week, I'm wishing you safe and happy sex lives. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.